Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey, 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 y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. All right, we're still all on our New Year kick. And one of the things that I learned last year that I sort of kind of started to implement, but this year I'm really, really buckling down and I'm really going to be vigilant about making sure that I do it every day is eating protein before I have my coffee. Um, and I, I learned this because I actually had started to have really painful menstrual cramps leading up to my period. And when I saw a couple of different health practitioners, I went to chiropractor and I went to acupuncture um, and some functional meds and medicine doctors, I learned that it seemed like I had high cortisol. And everyone kind of came back to the fact of simple lifestyle changes might make really big, um, you know, tweaks and, and payoff in my life if, if I was able to do those. And something that everyone kept mentioning was having protein before coffee. And like I say, I kind of sort of implemented it last year, but this year I'm really going to do it. Well, I wanted to have on someone to talk about caffeine and coffee and protein and our adrenals and how all of that plays into our hormones, especially because this year you guys chose the topics for most of the episodes and a lot of people are focusing on fertility. Well, we know if you have high levels of cortisol in your body, whether it is from stress or I guess residual stress, like just years and years and years of stress, or it's lifestyle things like putting caffeine in your body on an empty belly, all of these things I wanted us to be able to navigate and learn about. And so I asked my friend, Dr. Samantha Berguglio, we call her Dr. B. She is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in fertility and hormone balancing. And she is Walk the Natural Path on Instagram. And I asked her to come and join us and just talk to us about what we need to know about coffee. If you're anything like me, you wake up, I mean, my eyes open and I am like, where's the coffee? I need it ASAP. And so over the last few months, I have, like I say, 
here and there tried to make these modifications, but since the new year, we are three weeks into the new year as of now, and I have done a very good job. I have not had coffee on an empty stomach since the new year. I've been very, very on top of having protein and having something in my stomach. So I'm super excited to dive into this conversation with you guys. You guys, we are going to talk about how the quantity versus quality matters, what you should know about each of those, and whether caffeine actually does impact your cortisol, how our body actually controls cortisol responses, and how that impacts our adrenal glands. Dr. B is also going to share about a couple of tests, if you are a little bit more crunchy like me, that you might be interested in looking into just to see what's going on with your hormones. Plus, the question that everybody asks is, does pooping regularly help your hormones? Well, we'll talk about that in this episode. All right, you guys, without further ado, here is Dr. Sam. Welcome to the show, Dr. B. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited to dive into this conversation as I have my coffee in hand. You know, I got to be honest, I learned that coffee could disrupt our hormones a couple years ago, but that was in the pandemic. And at that time, I was like, there is no way I could give up coffee. And another thing I found was that when you look into coffee, there are studies that says it's good for you. It's got benefits. We want to have coffee in our diet. And then you have studies that say, no, coffee is bad. Don't drink coffee. If you can find an alternative, let's do it. I think before we dive into this conversation of how it can impact our hormones long-term and our fertility, can we kind of break down where we're starting from? Is coffee good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? And it's all kind of, you know, as long as you don't go overboard, as as long as you're not drinking 10 cups of coffee a day, you should be good. Or are there other things we need to think about? Where is this like coffee 101 where we should start this conversation for, for someone who maybe has never thought about this before? Yeah, I think that's great. And I really like how you brought up that, like there are research studies that say it's good, bad, and kind of whatever, right? I would say that quality and quantity matters in this conversation. So starting off, right? So like you said, how much you drink, but then also what kind of coffee you drink. So, you know, versus like a really cheap bag that you have no idea if it's been mold tested or not versus like one that's gone through like purity testing to make sure it's clean from mold as well as it's organic and, you know, so on. So First off, quality and quantity really matter. We actually learn though about coffee as a herbal medicine, right? We've learned that it's actually good for some things, right? It's it, everything in moderation. I kind of say that with literally almost everything. I go, the only thing that like doesn't need moderation is like vegetables. But like at the end of the day, everything is within moderation, right? Like too much of something, even if it's good, could be a bad thing. It's kind of the same thing with coffee. Coffee though and or like caffeine, I should say, should honestly just be like, it's really the timing and like what you drink it with and how you pair and again, how much and the quality of it. So it's not necessarily like people are really like make caffeine out to be like the bad guy. But I'm like, if you use it correctly, like other herbal medicines, right? It is really powerful in both good and maybe not so good ways too. But again, learning to moderate is important. 
That's amazing. I've never heard of coffee kind of like as an herbal medicine or, or from that perspective. So I think that is very cool. Again, when I learned that coffee could be bad, I was like, oh my God, what will my life be without coffee? I love coffee so much. Okay. I do have a question about something that you said, caffeine versus coffee. So when we get deeper in this conversation and we're thinking about how that caffeine is impacting our hormones, it's not necessarily just coming from coffee. We need to consider all of our caffeine intake. Is that right? Yeah, honestly, I would say like coffee is like the least of our worries when it comes wow. to caffeine beverages, right? Like, so when I'm thinking, when people talk about like coffee disrupting their hormones, they're talking about too much caffeine, essentially, right? Like they're not, I don't think they're talking about what actually coffee is, you know, like the bean, they're talking about the actual caffeine. And so when we're talking about disruption of hormones, you know, energy drinks, sodas, all of those type of things, they're going to be a lot higher in caffeine than like a cup of coffee. So I'm like, we use coffee and we talk about it a lot. And this is actually something I've had to learn to like clarify with people because people are like, everyone's making my coffee seem so evil. And I'm like, you're right. Like, it's really not like coffee is the blanket statement almost like it's like that's it's caffeine got hooked to coffee yeah. and it, they just kind of gone hand in hand ever since. But I'm like, no, the real issues like the energy drinks and the sodas and stuff like that, the things with the added sugar, as well as you know, oh, pre-workout, like pre-workout, first thing you do when you get up in the morning, like those are the culprits at the end of the day, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I don't use a pre-workout, so I didn't even consider that. Other than energy drinks, pre-workouts, sodas, are there other things in our diet that are putting caffeine in our systems that we may not know about? Teas come to my mind. Yeah, teas. But again, teas are going to be like a different source. So, you know, green tea is amazing. It has L-theanine in it. L-theanine, like if you're going to choose between coffee or green tea, again, coffee is like not like the devil or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but green tea, I like, I am an advocate for green tea. If you want to switch to green tea, drink all the green tea you want. It not only helps you stay more awake and aware during the day and like clears that brain fog, but also has a million other medicinal benefits, as well as it actually can help you get more restful sleep. Wow. Like it's amazing, the benefits of green tea. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So I, think I know, right? I just like totally threw everything like. <laughs> no, no, no. This is what we want. Because, you know, like I say, in the middle of the pandemic, it was something that I took in. I park and lauded, and this season was actually all uh, requested by our audience. And so when this topic came up, it kind of pulled that file folder from the back of my head being like, oh, remember that one time that you saw that article? I was not at a place I wanted to give up coffee, even if it was bad for me. That is, I was like, all right, we are not in the place. So now that we were making this new season, I thought, let's dive into it. So I think going forward, especially pertaining to this conversation, I'm going to use caffeine and not coffee. Even though the title, you guys, says how coffee impacts our hormones, I want us all to make a little shift and think about our overall caffeine intake. So I guess let's dive into that. What do we need to know about the impacts of caffeine on our hormones in general, not necessarily specifically to fertility, although it's all kind of related and you know, it's all connected, but in general, 
what do we need to know about our caffeine intake in terms of our health? Yeah. So I'm going to try not to make that super long winded, but um, I like to start off with the question, do you need caffeine to wake up in the morning? Like, do you need it? Is it essential? If it's essential, then there's usually an underlying cause of something else going on, right? Insomnia, so lack of sleep. There's maybe an adrenal dysfunction. There maybe is your thyroid dysfunction. Like there's so many underlying things that could be occurring. So my first question is like, are you masking? Are you using caffeine to mask the fact that you have something else going on, right? Because if you wake up needing caffeine, that's an that starts an issue right there. So that's, that's one of them. And I know that's not like actually caffeine, like impacting the hormones, but I think it's a really important one to state because people are like, Oh, well, I'm not a person until I have my cup of coffee in the morning. And I'm like, Ooh, we need a, like, that's like, it's a funny statement and we laugh about it, you know, but like, that's actually something we really need to evaluate. Like, <laughs> hold up. <laughs> you should a hundred percent be your own person before coffee coffee yes like if you have like a really rough night or you don't really get some sleep you're like I need a little extra help you know I, I was tossing and turning all night like that's fine that happens we're human we don't have perfect nights of sleep every night but something to be aware of the second thing is so there are mixed results so I've actually talked about caffeine a lot on my channel I've actually talked about it on another podcast before too and I've done a lot of research on it and every time I dig in, I swear I find something new, right? I mean, that's, that's the nature of science. That's the nature of learning. And so I've seen on both sides, you know, talking about coffee being good or bad for you. I've seen on both sides that when you wake up and drink a cup of coffee first thing in the morning, that it can increase your cortisol or decrease it. Um, honestly, both things aren't great, right? So if we're increasing our cortisol, we are increasing our normal morning response to the sunlight and maybe causing some adrenal fatigue long-term. If it's decreasing it, usually that's the, that's with long-term coffee users is that you become, um, I don't want to say like numb, but for the lack of a better word, you become numb. You're not as receptive to cortisol being secreted. So you're not, you're not going to secrete as much which is also not good, right? Because then your na your natural system either way is being impacted. So I think from the majority of research that I have done, I've come to the conclusion that drinking coffee can impact your cortisol levels, whether it's elevating it in acute use or decreasing it in, you know, chronic use. It, and is that a good thing, right? Like I said, maybe if you have a night where you don't sleep very well and you really need a little extra help to get through the day, like, yeah, that could be it. That could be helpful, right? But overall, we really want to like have our own cortisol rhythm unimpeded by external factors, right? We don't want coffee to be influencing our circadian rhythm, which is, that's what is occurring when it impacts our cortisol level. So well, you want to use it impacts our hormones. You want to use it almost as like a supplement rather than something that is needed in your daily regimen to help you keep going. Is that what I'm hearing? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, some people use supplements like all of the time, right? Like every single day for something. But yes, like if you're feeling extra stressed out, like there's a lot of herbs that I'll be like, okay, when you're feeling acutely stressed, just like take this herb and you're going to feel a lot better and like be able to function throughout the day, like more smoothly. Kind of same thing. Yeah. It's like if you're like, oh my gosh, like I woke up and I'm 
really tired and I need a little oomph today, that's when like the coffee comes into play. And that would be the most ideal thing. Now, some people really like it because it's part of their morning routine and we can get to that. And that's, that's totally fine. Yeah. My big thing is, and I'm sure this is like all over the internet, right? Just eat before or eat yeah. with. And people say like, well, does it matter? And all this stuff. And then they'll like, at the end of like this post, they'll like give a long post about how white coffee isn't that bad. And then they'll be like, but still drink it after you eat or eat it with, or drink it with breakfast or whatever. And I'm like laughing. Cause I'm like, okay, why would it matter if it didn't impact any of these things? Like why give that advice if it really doesn't matter? Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? Okay. So what happens because to somebody who eats? So what happens to someone who drinks coffee on an empty belly? So that's where like, sorry, I should have clarified. That's when that cortisol like spike or decline can occur. Usually when there's not like food in the stomach to like balance or absorb and it's just like goes straight on your um, stomach lining. That's that's when like certain things can happen without even the hormonal side of things. You know, coffee is really acidic. So it's not great on our stomach lining. I don't know. A lot of people... I feel like more people experience this with green tea, which is surprising to me because it doesn't have like the same amount of concentration as coffee does. But, you know, like if you drink a cup of green tea or coffee on an empty stomach, sometimes it like makes you feel a little nauseous. I don't know if you've ever gotten that, especially if it's black coffee. So if it's black coffee, people can feel that. And that's, that's because it's acidity on acidity. So like your stomach thinks that you're getting like food in. So it's going to start reacting stomach acid extra stomach acids being secreted right and then you just throw like basically like more acid on the fire and so your stomach lining's like whoa like our ph is totally off we why are we more acidic i was expecting to get some food which would make me more basic which would calm you know the stomach and the stomach will just use the acids to break down the food but you know then we just throw coffee in there and it's it can it can lead to things like stomach ulcers and all that yeah that was my question Wow. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And is that going to impact gut health too? Because now you're the inside of your stomach is like, what is going on? Yeah. Oh, totally. Everyone, it impacts differently, but I totally believe that, you know, I mean, your stomach, you know, people talk about your gut. I, I would say a lot of people normally think about like the large intestine and the small intestine when it's like gut health, but I mean, yeah your stomach, like every, every part of us has like some type of microbiome, right? Like people talk about, you know, I mean, the small intestine is technically supposed to be like sterile, but at the end of the day, we're like made up of so many different like microbes. And, you know, if any of that is off, then that can mess with our gut health or honestly, any type of health. I, I actually talk a lot about reproductive microbiome with my patients and how important that is. And people are like, I didn't know that was a thing. I was like, honestly, they didn't really know it was a thing until recent. Like they used to say that the cervix also had no feeling. So yeah. <laughs> and as a woman, you know, the cervix has a feeling. <laughs> yeah. If you've got one, you know, it is full of feeling uh, for sure. <laughs> okay. So let's dive in a little bit more to eating before having your coffee slash caffeine in the morning. I'm not great at it, but I I try really hard. And I do get better the harder I try. I've always heard to try to eat protein and drink a glass of water. Is that kind of in line with what you suggest to clients? Is, Is it kind of different for everybody? Should we stay away from things like yogurt because it's dairy? Anything that we need to know about eating with our caffeine? 
Yeah. So one, I love the water thing. I just like the water thing nice. in general. I think everyone, whether you drink caffeine or not, should have a cup of water in the morning. Whether it's, you know, one of those fancy adrenal cocktails that everyone talks about or a, just a general glass of water, some water with lemon, like whatever you want to do, just have a glass of water. I think that's great. Like you just went how many hours without drinking yeah. anything. So like rehydrate your body. I think you're going to feel really good. You'll just feel better in the morning. You'll, you will feel naturally more awake with some water. <laughs> and then yes. So honestly, again, this is kind of just in general too, whether you drink caffeine or not, or you have a cup of coffee or whatever, protein, at least 20 to 30 grams in the morning but also mixed with fat and carbohydrates. So I want the, all the macros, you know, in the morning. So, you know, a really good example is one of my favorite things to recommend to people are like egg scrambles where you throw like a ton of veggies in them and they have the eggs and if you want to throw some meat in it too. That's great. Cause it usually like people eat about average of two eggs in the morning. If you eat three that can tend to cover your daily amount, but or eat like the two eggs with all the veggies and then have like a Greek yogurt on the side, you know, bringing in the dairy piece is dairy good or bad for you. That is a case by case, I believe truly. I know what everyone says, like, we're not supposed to have dairy our entire, like we're supposed to, you know, people are like, we're made to have dairy, you know, until we're babies. And then like, we're supposed to lose it, which, you know, we do lose an enzyme called lactase, which a lot of people know as, you know, if they lose it, they become lactose intolerant. And lactase breaks down dairy, right? So we do lose that as we age. And so I basically just say, if dairy bothers you, remove it. If it doesn't, keep it in. Like, it's one of those things. Like, I'm like, I tell people, I'm like, I'm the naturopath that, like, wants to make your life easy and then have sustainable habits. Like, I don't want to, like, create this, like, remove this, 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 and this. Like, if you don't even know if it bothers you. So on the dairy note, I usually have people eliminate it for two weeks and then add it back in and then see if they have a reaction three to five days after. And if they don't like eat all the dairy you want, if they do, then I'm like, you know, I would recommend cutting it out, but you can do whatever feels best for you. I use lactate pills, which I don't know how everyone feels. I'm not open to suggestions because it works for me. I love ice cream. It's like <laughs> one of my favorite foods. I love cheese. It's one of my favorite foods. And the lactate yeah. pills work so well to me. Anyone who knows me or has ever been out to eat with me, I have a huge bottle in my purse at all times. So I, yeah, I, I kind of tend to, th- the I tend to think the same thing about dairy that if you love it and it works for you, then eat it. If it doesn't work for you and you don't mind giving it up, then take it out of your diet. But I'm a I'm a cheese and ice cream girl yeah. all the way. <laughs> I know it. I like my cheese too. And yeah, like if it, if yours is just lactose and you take some lactase, like you're you're fine. Like, yeah. like you literally just didn't have the enzyme, which would make you maybe some gassy, some bloating. <laughs> but like it's fine. Like you're you're gonna be good. But yeah, so basically back to the breakfast, like that's just general for anyone. I think anyone should eat a breakfast like that, especially before coffee is helpful, right? Some people text me and they'll be like, or text me. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. They'll message like on my Instagram, like DM yeah. me or, you know, send a comment. And they're like, well, what if I like really can't eat breakfast? One, I say push through it. You will eventually feel hungry in the morning. Like I used to be one of those people that I didn't eat. I don't even know if I ate sometimes like 1 p.m. Like what? I can't even imagine that now. I eat like three meals by 1 p.m. now. So it's like, okay, so I understand where you're coming from. I understand literally not feeling hungry. And it's because your metabolism is not going. 
So I'm like, if you eat, if you start eating in the morning and you do it more often and you start eating more meals, you will feel hungry. You will Mm -hmm. wake up craving food. Like I actually have not eaten yet. And I'm like sitting here, I'm like, I'm actually kind of hungry, especially now when we're talking about this. Like, I'm like, I can't wait for breakfast, (laughs) but that never would have happened like five years ago. Okay, so the answer is just kind of reconditioning yourself. You've almost conditioned your metabolism to not kick on until later in the day. It reminds me a little bit, and I know nothing about this. I only have friends that do it, which is why I know about this. But the intermittent fasting where you like don't eat for a couple of hours when you first wake up, it reminds me of that a little bit, but an unintentional type of fasting. Yeah, unintentional. A lot of people do do the intermittent fasting, and that's when I tell them to shift. Because if I'm like, you can still intermittent fast. But we're switching it, right? We're not going to eat as late. We'll cut cut eating time cut off in the afternoon is later. And then you can just, so you can eat early in the morning. People have a hard time with that because that one's, that one's a lot harder. It's a lot easier to like go about your day and not think about eating constantly. However, I tell people, I go, when do you need the fuel? Like literally, when do you need the fuel? And they're like, uh, I'm like, you don't need it going to bed. So we need to switch that and make sure you're eating during, during the day when you're literally using it. Because a lot of people intermittent fast, yes, for like blood sugar regulation, but I think a lot of people do it for weight loss. Yeah, that's what and I I'm about. like, you're not helping yourself. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, you're not helping yourself. If you're eating a bunch of food late at night, going to bed, and then like your metabolism is off, like you're turned your metabolism off during the day. So you're not burning anything. So I don't think intermittent fasting that way is super helpful at all (laughs) and a lot of people who do that will feel like like that really heavy midday crash and they'll be like around like two or three I'm just so tired I'm like well what have you eaten today nothing and then I get like either nothing or you know a protein bar or something and I'm like well you literally have not had enough food today like your body is telling yourself like we don't have any fuel let's sit down like (laughs) it's the same thing when you're sick right like let me sit down I'm sick I don't feel good I need to rest it's it's the same thing. I have no fuel. I have no fuel for my brain, my muscles or anything like that. So I love, I do like intermittent fasting though. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I do it. Like I just stop eating later at night and then I can eat by, but I do like 12 to 14 hours. I don't like push it to 16. So if I stop eating at eight, I can eat at eight in the morning. Like that's great. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I know nothing about that life at all. I couldn't even, I couldn't even begin to have a conversation about intermittent fasting. I just have a couple of friends that have done it and their drive is weight loss. And for some people it has been successful and for some, for some it hasn't. So, okay. So I guess let's talk Mm -hmm. about the impact of caffeine on our hormones. So primarily, I guess if you wanted to talk about male hormones, you could, but let's focus on female hormones and Let's maybe break it down into, I think, the two categories that most of our listeners fall into. People who are not yet pregnant, but are looking to take control of their hormones and their fertility and their health and their food intake and their exercise, kind of the whole picture in order to get pregnant. And then people Mm -hmm. who are pregnant and or have just had a baby. So two different types of people there. What's caffeine doing to us? Yeah. I mean, so at the end of the day, it does kind of the same thing with both categories, okay. right? You know, we're, we, we fluctuate and we change it obviously during like pregnancy and stuff like that. But I will say like at the end of the day, it's like base, it's, it's going to impact us the same. So when it comes, so it kind of comes back to that cortisol response, right? And the reason why I'm bringing this back to that is because the way our body is, has our cortisol spot response 
whether it's spikes or decreases, that has that is an impact on our adrenal glands. Our adrenal glands secrete a hormone called DHEA. DHEA is a precursor for a lot of our other hormones. So testosterone, estrogen. So if our cortisol is like vamped up, and usually our adrenals can only kind of like vamp up one at a time, right? So our cortisol is vamped up, but our DHEA is low. So what, what's going to, what's going to, how is that going to impact like down the trail, right? Or down the little cascade of hormones. We're not going to, we're going to be lower on all the other hormones because our DHEA is low. One of our DHEA is low or one of our precursors is low. If our, you know, adrenals are tired because they've been overworking and there's been a chronic use, right? Every, our adrenals are, that goes to adrenal fatigue or adrenal dysfunction, right? Everything's low and everything's low. Same thing happens, Right. So our hormones can be thrown off and influenced by stress hormone, as well as like our adrenal function period. So that's when everyone talks about everything is all related. It truly is, right? I mean, that's just like one basic breakdown without me going into like biochemistry of our hormones, but it is all more connected than I think people even really understand. They're like, yeah, we're one system, we're one body. I'm like, no, but like you even break down like the biochemical reactions, it's all connected. Wow, that's that is incredible. Okay, so for people who were maybe living with adrenal fatigue but have never heard this term, what are some of the signs and symptoms? How might you know? Who I should go see a doctor or a naturopath or some sort of professional to see if I have adrenal fatigue? Yeah, so it can present different in a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of different presentations nowadays, like. I mean, fit, adrenal fatigue, right? So you can start off with the one of just like feeling tired, just fatigue all of the time. Another one though, is that you feel fatigue like mid afternoon, right? Where you just get that like midday slump. Our adrenals naturally start secreting less like cortisol at that period of time. So we do get a slight slump anyway, but you shouldn't feel like you can't go on with your day. Having a hard time waking up in the morning, that can actually be related to adrenal fatigue. When you're, I mean, honestly, like I said, right, it all, it all connects, right? So then this goes into like, okay, what symptoms are, are reprodu- being low in reproductive hormones or being too high in reproductive hormones, right? So it can, like, it can kind of like once a domino falls, like all of the other ones kind of fall with it. So if it's true adrenal fatigue, I mean, that can go into acne, hair loss, you know, your skin not being the same, like, People know when their skin's like not the same, like it's not as stretchy, it feels like more ashy or whatever it is, your nails not growing the same way. These are all going to be like hormonal signs and symptoms, right? If you're a menstruating female, your period being different, your period stopping, that could be a sign of adrenal fatigue or total dysfunction, right? So the list can really go on and on. Basically, if anything that you're going through doesn't feel super normal, that could be a root cause. And, you know, when I say super normal, I'm, I'm kind of laughing at myself as I say that. Cause like nowadays, you know, we've been all taught that like having severe cramps with our cycle is normal. And I'm like, that's not, let's like go for someone. So anything that like feels like it's impacting your daily life, I should say that could honestly, there could be a core, there could be a starting result with adrenal fatigue and it could have just cascaded into this other reproductive hormonal piece 
And, you know, we can work on the reproductive hormonal piece, but if we also don't work on the adrenals, it's not going to work, you know, it's not going to, it's, oh, it's just a bandaid. So, yeah. and we, and we can test your adrenal function through a number of different tests. I do, rec- I highly recommend like a 24 hour saliva test or a 24 hour urine test, but like the Dutch test, for example, is one that I use a lot for people. Okay. So I've actually done the Dutch test. It's so funny that you're talking about all this. So I actually, during the pandemic, started to have bad periods and I was trying to get kind of down to the root of it. I didn't know what was causing it. There was also a lot of scary things going around with menstruation and just the timing of everything. And I did the Dutch test. It was the Dutch test Mm -hmm. that showed me my cortisol was very high. It was that practitioner who then taught me coffee could be kind of a big culprit of this. And that's when I started to change, not drinking coffee as soon as I wake up, drinking a big glass of water and starting to implement protein before drinking my coffee. This is wild. Okay. Talk us through. Uh, um, Yeah, me too. Talk us through the Dutch test. (laughs) I've never talked about it on the show before. So I know there's a lot of people out there now who are like, what is this Dutch test? Um, It is Really cool. It's a urine sample test. Um, and you pee on these little papers, you guys, and then you let them dry and you send them in. You don't have to collect like true urine in a vial and keep it. So, you know, Dr. B, talk us through the Dutch test, why you might want to use it and kind of what it tells your practitioner about your hormones. Yeah. Oh, I love the Dutch test. I would say also just like a little... I don't know, star asterisks or whatever, make sure you find a practitioner that can actually read one because it's uh. actually not a, it's not a, it's not a super e- simple test to read. So like when you're finding someone to be like, do you know how to read it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm telling you, like, I took a lot of extra training and a lot of extra time to like learn how to read this test. But once you do, do learn how to read it as a practitioner, it's really helpful for us in many different ways. So like you were saying, you just, you kind of pee on a stick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's different versions. There's a 24 hour one. There's like a 48, a three day one. There's, there's a bunch of different types of Dutch tests. I usually use the 24 hour one. Sometimes I'll have people do something called the cycle mapping, which is like a way more in deep depth, detailed test. But that's if we haven't been able to like really nail things down about what's going on. But the most typical one is a 24 hour Dutch test, your urine test, excuse me. And it's going to measure all your androgens. So again, starting with like your DHEA, like we talked about before, and you know how important that is in the hormonal cascade. Um, So DHEA, you know, testosterone, different pathways of where like testosterone can go down. So like your alpha, your beta pathway. So basically it's showing a very in-depth view of your androgens. Same with progesterone. You know, instead of just progesterone, we get two different types. We have progesterone and then there's like alpha and beta pathways of progesterone as well which is going to be really helpful in determining a lot of things. Like, you know, do we have to look at insulin sensitivity? Do we have to look at inflammation? How stressed? Like different pathways signal different things to the practitioner. And then the estrogen, which actually I find the estrogen piece to be one of the most helpful portions of this test because a lot of people just pull estradiol, right? That's like E2. There's actually three forms of estrogen. And so this test looks at E1, E2, and E3. And that's really, really nice because we get to see not only those, but then it shows down the breakdown of all of those estrogens. And we look at an intermediate pathway, a good pathway, like a, that's 
the green one, and then like a red pathway that can be associated with things like breast cancer. We do need a little in all of our pathways, but we wanna make sure that it's all mostly going down the green pathway. We want a little bit in the intermediate, maybe like either little to none in the red pathway. There's gonna be some in the red pathway, we just don't want an overwhelming amount. So we need to make sure that not only is estrogen up top, so I'm like thinking of it as like one, two, three, right? Like starting at the top going down, but estrogen at the top, we wanna make sure there's not a ton, but then we need to make sure that you know, the estrogen that is there and is present in our system is being broken down in phase one correctly. And then we get down to after it goes either the good, medium or bad pathway, we need to make sure it's methylated. And so that's phase two. And then phase three is like basically, you know, pooping, <laughs> getting it out of the system. So that's why it's really important in things like estrogen detoxification to actually use the restroom. Like one of my questions is like, how often do you have a bowel movement? Right. That's important. So that's, that's kind of the, those hormones. There's a lot of other things it reads, but then when we're, since we're talking about cortisol, it also goes through a 24 hour cortisol, right. Um, reading. And so it looks at not only your cortisol metabolites. So like what you're excreting in your urine, but it's also going to look at your cortisone and cortisol. Cortisol is kind of what we're using. It's what you hear a lot. And cortisone is basically like a storage form of cortisol. And again, whether or not you have more cortisol or more cortisol, it will shoot like if you have extra inflammation or if your body for some reason is putting cortisol in storage, we need to discover that if, you know, if your metabolites are really high, but like your overall, your overall like rhythm is good, then like, what is that telling us? you know, again, that could be with like, maybe some insulin sensitivity or something that is present there that we need to work on. So it's really nice, because it's very detailed test, it tells us a lot of info. Sorry, I try to go through that, like as briefly as possible. There's still so many things on this test. But that just goes to show like the detail of what we learn, because I've, I've, you know, barely touched the surface of what I see when I go through that test. Yeah, I thought it was super comprehensive. Like I say, I worked with a practitioner who luckily was able to to read it. I didn't realize. Are there practitioners out there who will give the Dutch test and not be able to interpret the results? Is that what you're sharing with us? I don't want to say that. I wouldn't want to, I don't want to say like people are like bad like that, but I've had people bring me their Dutch test and tell me that they're like, wow, like I, the person that I ordered this from did not go into nearly the amount of detail that you have. Got so it. maybe, maybe they're just not utilizing it to the rest mm -hmm. of the ability. Cause there's a yeah. lot of like different things with the biochemical pathways on there that are really important and are easy to miss if you don't really know them like the back of your hand. Yeah. Okay. That's so, really good. Yeah. To know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's good to know. And it's something that I had to learn too, because a lot of different types of practitioners can order these, right? Like nutritionists can order them, okay. you know, along with doctors and or dietitians, I should say, I think nutritionists and dietitians, like a lot of different types of practitioners can't order them. And they all use them, I think, in kind of a different way. Okay. I just think making sure that someone can like, really dive into the nitty gritty that the Dutch test provides, because it's not a cheap test, right? Like you want to make sure you have someone that can really use it and harness it and like, use it to its full potential for to have you heal. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was insightful. I thought it was great. It gave me a lot mm -hmm. of 
Well, I guess insights. It just gave me a good look of what was going on in my body. I have plans to do one again pretty soon to just see over the last couple of years how those changes that I have implemented have impacted things. All right. This has been that's great. Amazing. Yeah, this has been such a good conversation. Yeah. So I guess one place that we haven't touched on, and I, I guess we could wrap up here, is what about fertility. So if we are someone who, after listening to this conversation, realizes, oh, I may have some changes that need to be made. If I'm thinking about starting a family kind of soon, my relationship with caffeine has not been the healthiest, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know, but now where do I right. go? So what would you say to that person that's like, all right, I'm starting to think about a family in the next couple of years, I realize maybe my caffeine intake has been a little funky. Where do I start? Yeah, I love that question. So I tell everyone 200 milligrams and under a day is fine. So if you keep it under 200 milligrams, there ha there's been a, actually a decent amount of research on that part where it says it, there's no impact to the fertility. So or, you know, hormones. So honestly, for anyone to keep it under 200 milligrams a day, but for my fertility patients and clients, I definitely say keep it under 200 milligrams. Things I also say, because I am not normally, like I said, I'm normally more of a lax naturopath, but I will say like, I told I very strongly encourage people to stop drinking caffeine and to not caffeine. Sorry, excuse me. No, nah, sorry. 200 milligrams of caffeine. Okay. I strongly encourage people to stop drinking energy drinks. Sorry, didn't, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want people to think that. No, 200 milligrams of caffeine is fine, but I do strongly encourage people to stop drinking energy drinks. And the reason why there's so many additives, if there's not a ton of sugar added, there's usually chemicals added. So I'm just like, please stay away from those. Honestly, same thing with sodas. I am, like I said, pretty lax. I'm like, yeah, like eat your sweet treat once in a while and have your gluten and dairy if it doesn't bother you. But like, when it comes to things like soda and energy drinks, I kind of like a, kind of no mess around, especially for fertility. Like, it's just they're just they're toxic. Like if we want to dive into toxins, I mean, I mean, even me right now, I mean, I'm wearing my AirPods, but I have my little like EMF protectors on it. They're not my favorite thing. They're the only thing that hooks up to my laptop. And I'm haven't bought like a whatever cord. So I get moderation is, you know, key here. But like, like reducing those or just cutting it out is going to be the best thing, but 200 milligrams of caffeine overall. So I tell people, I go, that's like two cups of coffee, real cup, real cups, like eight ounces. So also some people, like I, some people are like, I just have one cup and I'm like, Oh really? How big is it? And they're like 16 ounces. I'm like, yeah, that's not one cup. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm actually learning that I'm doing pretty well. I usually just have like one cup and it's just like a regular coffee mug yeah. in the morning so that that should fall you're within that 200 job. milligrams yeah all right oh yeah you're probably at like 70 or 80 like you're good you're good nice yeah okay. no it's I tell yeah it's all like we started right all about quality quantity moderation is going to be key yeah yeah. Okay. I guess I did want to circle back and we can wrap up here. I know I've said that a couple of times now, but you had talked about in the beginning mold testing for coffee. I think mm. many of us just grab our coffee at the grocery store. Mold testing for coffee has never even once crossed my mind. Dive into that just a little bit. 
Yeah. So usually it will say like on their bag if they have been like mold tested or you can just like look it up really quick. I don't know if anyone knows about like the environmental working app or whatever, like think dirty. There's a couple out there where you can look up the coffees and it will kind of tell you the details of them. But I kind of say like, if we're going in like order of what's important, right? So you know, buying organic coffee is going to be the step above, right? Okay. Organic coffee, I truly believe is better than non-organic coffee. Okay. There's many reasons, but you know, like you said, <laughs> we've been re- trying to wrap up. We just get so excited talking about stuff. <laughs> so organic versus non-organic is going to be better. And then the next one would be that it's been third party tested for mold, meaning like not in their system, been tested for mold. That's going to be like gold star, gold standard. Granted, like if you're having one cup of day, Oh yeah, that is kind of a consistent habit. So it would be better to do that. What is one? I'm trying to think of the name of one that I really like. I recently kind of stopped drinking coffee because that was a whole nother thing. It was for me, I it was causing like me anxiety. And I personally am not a person that has like really ever had it. I've had it at like specific stages in life, but for reasons, this was like not no reason attached. And so I just was like, I'm just going to cut it out. And I have it when I'm feeling like really tired or run down and it doesn't impact me the same way as, you know, if I feel like kind of normal and have one, sorry, that was a total side note. Anyway, so I haven't bought like the new brands recently, but one of them is like purify or I think it's purify is one of them. And I know there it's like third party mold tested and people who are coffee connoisseurs and my patients say they really like it. It's good. So that's a gold, gold star. But honestly, at the end of the day, like even organic is going to be better than like the non-organic. How come? Yeah, because so, you know, pesticides, right? People say mm. there's pesticides on organic. Um, but I will say that the pesticides on organic are a lot less and a lot less potent and not as brutal as the non-organic. Yeah. Okay. And what's your opinion on the mushroom coffee that has recently kind of come about? Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Again, same thing with that though. Like sourcing is going to be important. Sourcing is always important. So, you know, it can be labeled as healthy and all these other things, but just make sure you kind of start to learn to look at labels and sourcing. I do know that mud water actually is a pretty good one. I've looked into that a little bit and I like that. People don't like the flavor. It is pretty earthy. I'm not going to lie. I tried it a little bit recently. I like it, but I'm an naturopath. I feel like we're just yeah. <laughs> programmed to like earthy things. I don't know. Like I'll, I'm like the one person that thinks like tinctures are good and everyone's <laughs> like, what did you give me? <laughs> so that's a whole nother thing. But mud water is a good one. And I do, I do like them, you know, into it. I think it's into it steep or steep into it. They have good mushroom products too very, very good quality stores. Yeah, I think it's steep into it. And they have like reishi and like the lion's mane and things like that. And I think those are beautiful. Honestly, those are those are when we were talking about like supplement to use if you're having a hard day, that to me is what I think of more as like a supplement, like to help with like the blood flow and brain function, because it's those are going to be more treating like the root cause rather than like giving a bandaid of like a stimulant. Yeah. Wow. 
That's amazing. Okay. I feel like mm-hmm. I've learned so much here. Some of it, I <laughs> pat myself on the back, like just having one cup of coffee a day and truly one cup. Um, but also some things I need to work on. I really should prioritize getting food in my stomach before I drink coffee. I always get water in. Um, but food is something that I just, I don't prioritize as much as it sounds like I need to. I don't have other I guess, intakes of caffeine. So that too makes me feel good. This was a really fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for sharing all of your knowledge with us. If people wanted to reach out to you and they wanted to work with you or something you said today kind of hit home for someone, where can they uh, connect with you? Yeah, so Instagram is actually probably the easiest. So walk the natural path on Instagram. My website though is also walkthenaturalpath.com. So pretty much anything walk the natural path, you'll find me. TikTok probably won't be able to reach me very well on there, but Instagram is a really good place to start. My email is also on there. So you're welcome to always email me, direct message me. And yeah, that's where you can reach me. <laughs> well, do you take one-to-one clients virtually or do people need to live kind of in your area? I do take one-on-one in-person and virtually. So the answer is no, you do not have to live in the area. Cool. And what is your area? Where are you tuning in from today? <laughs> Arizona. So Scottsdale, Arizona area. I'm actually one of the the few that was born and raised here. I love it. But yeah, so, some, so I've had a couple of people come visit me just because they're like, this is a really cool place to come visit. But a lot of people just jump on Zoom and it's just perfect. We... I mean, I do have people even from Arizona that live like two hours away that like don't want to drive in to see me. We just, we even hop on Zoom. So I'm able to do everything that I can do over Zoom. That is awesome. And if like you didn't want to work with me one-on-one, like you weren't ready for that. I do have a bunch of eBooks for like preconception care, hormone health that kind of like talk about this. You know, we, there's the very basics of the coffee piece, but it will tell you like all the root, like kind of my rules for the coffee and caffeine, as well as like some courses for things like unexplained infertility and egg quality. Amazing. Okay, cool. We'll get all of that linked for you guys in the show notes so that you can check all of that out. Dr. B, this conversation has been amazing. Is there anything else you want to leave us with before we wrap up today? I know. I think we talked about it all. I just like to emphasize like that, that moderation is key. And like, for example, for you, you know, if you can't have, if you're having a hard time eating breakfast in the morning, eat a snack. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, don't, yeah. don't push yourself to like, really feel uncomfortable. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, find something that works for you. A water and like, literally, like even some fruit and like some cheese, you think you like cheese, like that's good enough in the morning if before your coffee. I don't know. The cheese, I guess, in the morning is a little like Italian, but I'm like, that's like, that's like where I grew up with. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, I am soon to be married in just 46 days into a big Italian family. So that makes sense. I would not mind cheese in the morning. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. You're all set. <laughs> that's amazing. All right, Dr. B, thank you so much for being here with us today. You guys check us out on YouTube if you're listening on the podcast. Or if you're watching on YouTube, check us out on the podcast. Either way, connect with both of us on Instagram, and we will see you next week. Bye. 
Hey, before you go, did you know that there are a ton of benefits in having proper magnesium levels in pregnancy? Many Americans walk around actually deficient in magnesium, and pregnancy can make that deficiency even a little worse. So I wanted to share with you what I do to keep my magnesium levels at a proper level. So for me, I love topical magnesium. It comes in the form of a lotion. I can apply it any time. I choose to do it after I get out of the shower and then also before I go to bed. Having the right levels of magnesium in your body is going to give you improved sleep quality. It can help alleviate aches and pains, those lower backs, those hips, the pelvic aches that come along with pregnancy. It can even help with morning sickness and edema, which is just a fancy way of saying swelling. There are even studies that show that magnesium can help prevent or decrease the risk of preterm labor. Now it is important to know there are many types of magnesium and you can do topical or ingested magnesium. For me, I love the topical. I don't have to worry about what I'm putting in my body and I personally use the brand Eight Sheeps. It's organic magnesium lotion. It is silky smooth when you go on. It's so hydrating for your skin and it works miracles. When I am feeling sore, I also have tight hips. I can put it directly on the spot that needs some love. This is perfect for your hips and your lower back and your pubic region anytime you have those aches and pains in pregnancy. For bedtime to get better sleep, you can put on the back of your legs or the back of your arms as well. There's a lot of different uses and again having the right magnesium levels during pregnancy is essential to having a comfortable and easier pregnancy. You can visit 8sheep.com that's the number 8 and then sheep like the animal dot com and use the code hehe 10 to save 10% off of your first purchase. Again that is 8 sheep.com with the code hehe 10 Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.